if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to episode nine of season two of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast. We're here to discuss the weekend of the 6th and 7th of November. It's November already. It's 12 days, as we record. It's 12 days to the start of the FIFA World Cup. It beggars belief. But we have quite the weekend in the Premier League to look back at. 37 goals, I believe, I heard. And uh, last week, the three of us, um, we're three friends who pick the bones out of the weekend's football. and. Uh, we support Manchester United, Leeds United, and Tottenham, respectively. Last week, we had a clean sweep of three of nine points, three points each. And we wondered if that might happen again. This week, as it happens, only one of us got that, uh, got that cherished three points. And it wasn't the one you might expect. In fact, it was the one who's been down in the dumps for many weeks recently. Uh, that's my good old friend, George from the Isle of Man, who this week is joining us from the fair city of Dublin, further across the Irish Sea than he normally is. Good evening, George. Good evening. We've gone global. Yeah, and you're very happy tonight for once. For once, yeah. I'll uh, enjoy (laughs) it while it lasts. (laughs) He's a very happy chap, I should say. He's just just sort of beleaguered by uh, the football team that he supports. And... uh, down here in uh, in the southeast of England, we have uh, Nick Gilmer, the Manchester United fan. Less Hello. happy this week. We got good evening. Good evening. Yeah, exactly. Unai Emery's Aston Villa delivered a three-one uh, win uh, against uh, Ten Hag's Manchester United, who had been doing well, and we had been positive about their progress. But that's a bit of a setback at Villa Park this weekend. Um, my club, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, did exactly what I thought they would do, which is uh, go 2-0 down against Liverpool in the first half and then uh, try uh, to mount a spirited comeback in the second half, but ultimately fail. We lost uh, 2-1 to Liverpool. I was there with my good friend Kat from uh, Austria. We'll be hearing a little bit from her later. And uh, elsewhere this weekend, there's also Chelsea getting beaten at home to Arsenal. Arsenal, um, unfortunately for for me and uh, for those like-minded, um, look rampant. Frank Lampard's Everton lost 2-0 at home to Leicester. Another setback for him. And I believe he's losing in the League Cup, as we record as well. Can you confirm? Can confirm. Uh, who's that against? Brentford? Bournemouth. Bournemouth, sorry, yeah. Bournemouth away. Uh, Manchester City at home to Fulham. I don't want to bore those uh, listeners who don't play uh, the Fantasy Premier League game, but um, I had a I had a very inauspicious start to the weekend as um, because I suspected that Haaland might not start. I made um, João Cancelo my vice captain, and he was sent off after 26 minutes and ended on minus two points. But thankfully, Haaland was subbed on and got uh, captain points with that winning penalty in injury time, 2-1. Uh, Forrest and Brentford's uh, played out a 2-2 draw uh, up at the city ground, a very late own goal 
from Brentford. The Newcastle United juggernaut rolled on down at the south coast against Southampton in the driving rain. The Geordies topless, as you'd expect. Almiron scored again after six goals in October. And uh, Ralph Hardenhutl, who we've been uh, we've been wondering how he's kept that job for six years after two nine nil defeats and other other poor results, uh, he's finally gone. And West Ham lost in the very last minute at home to Crystal Palace. Zaha, goal and assist. And my namesake, Pascal, Pascal Gross, uh, once again scored a late winner for Brighton, this time away at Wolves, in a game that you'd never thought would have five goals, uh, since Wolves are like watching paint dry, as we always say on this show. But yeah, that was a bit bit more fun this time. Uh, Wolves 2, Brighton 3. So that wraps up the results this weekend. And uh, we're going to introduce a new feature to the pod. Uh, which is our moment of the weekend. And what are the stipulations of this new feature, George? It can be absolutely anything from across the world of football. It doesn't have to be consigned to the Premier League, but it cannot involve your own club just to stop us getting too either down in the dumps or giddy about our own respective charges. Understood. So here we go with moment of the weekend. Do we have a jingle? Love it. <laughs> uh, let's start with you, Nick, because I know you won't want to talk about your own team's game very much this week. Uh, what was your moment of the weekend? Yeah, I'll be interested to know what VAR makes of this because I'm bending the rules a little bit. But my moment of the weekend was an unhinged keeper at Nottingham Forest. Dean Henderson really went mad this weekend. <laughs> um, and whilst I can't claim no interest whatsoever, given he is out on loan from, from my lot, I do thoroughly enjoy... The sight of a goalkeeper just losing himself. Go on, tell us what happened. Well, he was very unhappy with the the penalty that he gave away, where he, he appeared to clip the uh, the striker, and it it was very very light. And and in fairness, um, I think Cooper went and said in his interview afterwards that if that was given, which it was, three others should have been given throughout the match. Yeah, but, but Henderson, the red mist descended. And it's fair to say he was very, very lucky not to see red for berating the goalkeeper, uh, for berating the referee. And then what, nothing was made of the fact that when the ball was actually scored from the penalty, he hoofed it in the direction of the referee, narrowly <laughs> missing him, which clearly, you know, probably says more about his distribution and why he's out on loan. But um, he, uh, he, if, he's, if he's connected with the referee with that ball, he's serving serious time on the sidelines. <laughs> but, uh, but he really, really couldn't get a grip of himself and was marching around his box, screaming and shouting at the referee. He was livid. And it was a real throwback to what goalkeepers like Peter Schmeichel, who um, weren't afraid to lose control of their anger. Oh, so it does have something to do with Manchester It United. always does. Everything, <laughs> everything it has something to do with Man United. Okay, well, that was a great choice. Thank you very much to kick off that feature. Uh, my choice is very simple, much more purely football than yours. Uh, it's quite simply a man who uh, only scores great goals. It's Yuri uh, Tielemann's volley against... Uh, Everton. The fact that it was at Goodison against Frank Lampard has nothing to do with it, I assure you. But um, uh, yeah, wonderful goal, great technique. He also had, uh, in in my opinion, the best goal on on goal of the month as well. Not that it was chosen by the voters in quotation marks. Um, but yeah, that's my choice. And you, did George? It, did it remind you of Maxi Rodriguez and? 2006 World Cup? Yes, it was quite that good. Chest yeah, and volley, it, was a bit, yeah. it was a bit further in, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the context wasn't quite as auspicious. Yeah, um, <laughs> Very true. There's a, there's a fair shout, a dipping volley. Yeah, it's lovely. Go on, George, then. Oh, mine does directly involve Man United, of course. Um, <laughs> my moment of the weekend was in the, I think it was the 60th minute at Villa Park. Uh, I believe the score was already 3-1 uh, to Aston Villa. And we, we talked last week about Ronaldo's fall from grace. And I just thought a whole new chapter was opened when he had a WWE-style wrestling match with Tyrone Mings of all players. Oh, yes. And yeah. it kind of just summed up where it summed up where he's at right now. Like I think a few minutes before he missed a free header straight at Martinez, and yeah, it's a scuffle with the worst defender in the league, and then get a yellow card for it. And I don't even know what he did wrong. <laughs> was uh, was was quite enjoyable, I must say. Well, great choice as well. I have to say, my experience of that game was only. Uh, seeing the score flash up on the way to the stadium on Sunday with a Liverpool fan next to me. So it really made us smile. Sorry, Nick. But um, yeah, the Ar- Arsenal winning earlier in the day didn't set a great mood for the day, but uh, that Villa result did help. <laughs> As I said, everything has a Man United angle. Okay, so now um, we come to our first um, featured match, shall we say, George? And uh, you have to be topping the bill this week, I think, for the second week in a row after your win at Anfield last week, where oh, yeah. Crescencio Somerville scored late on. And uh, Crescencio, the sequel, was this weekend at home to Bournemouth. Let's just have a listen at, uh, to what happened, shall we? Forward. Adams is shooting forward. Nonto goes it alone. Nonto still going. Still going, Nonto. Plays it into the middle for Somerville. United are in front. What a goal, what a moment. Leeds four, Bournemouth three. <laughs> Was there ever any doubt? So that's uh, Leeds United commentator Bryn Law there uh, describing the uh, 85th minute, I think, 85th minute winner from Crescencio Somerville for Leeds against Bournemouth. Leeds were 3 1 down. And on match day two, where I was watching the uh, highlights, there was that sort of evocative shot of. Jesse Marsh's head with the, the rain falling behind him, uh, captured in the floodlights. And uh, the commentator said he's really up against it now. Uh, what was the vibe, not just in, in Elland Road, but also uh, among those watching from afar, those Leeds fans, about the season and uh, Jesse, Mar- Jesse Marsh uh, an hour into that game when it was 3-1 to Bournemouth at home? Well, the easiest answer to that is they were booed off at half-time. 2-1 half time was very, very generous to us not to go all Alexander Gross on you on our first <laughs> half performance, but it was really bad. I was listening to him on BBC Radio 5 Live and it should have been 4-1 at half time at, at the very least. And I think I wasn't too giddy last weekend and I think I was representative of most Leeds fans from our Anfield result. Um, there was a underlying fear that it had been a complete one-off random fluke result and so it came to be because Bournemouth absolutely ran as ragged despite the fact we took the lead of course in the first minute and I know teams can come out in the second half and and turn games around but they actually scored the first goal in the second half and yeah there was there was a lot of booze I actually saw on the highlights people leaving 
because there seemingly was no way back at that point whatsoever. Bournemouth's third mm-hmm. goal was a Solanke backheel, wasn't it? Nice cheeky little very, flick. Very nice on the counter. It was a lovely goal. Yeah, lovely little finish. But don't think he's going to Qatar. Bit too late, yes. Yeah. He's a World Cup winner, though, isn't he? He is. He is a World Cup winner, yeah. To be fair. Um, so uh, what happened then? How did the comeback <sighs> um, transpire? Was it changes made by Marsh? Was it a change in attitude? Was it the fans? I, I think that would be giving him too much credit. And I'm not trying to bash him or anything like that. Um, but he just threw on three youngsters and hope for the best. There was there was no tactical shift or formation change or anything of that ilk. Um, there was just a lovely curled finish from one of those youngsters that came on, Sam Greenwood, um, a striker we bought from Arsenal, I think, uh, two summers ago. One of those goals that just looks better when it's a left-footed finish into, into the top corner. And it, I know it's very cliche, but it, it, the crowd kind of sucked in the next goal or two, yeah. it, the, the whole ground felt something was going to happen and Bournemouth did just crumble under the pressure. Um, Gary O'Neill said that. They did that against us as well. To be Exactly, fair. yeah. And a little stat bond for you. They're the first ever team in Premier League history to throw away two goal lead, two games in a row. And Gary O'Neill rightly said after the match that this was very clearly the, the best team lost and it's hard to disagree with that. Um, it, yeah, it was just a case of one goal went in and the crowd just made the other two happen. yeah. 3-2 two, two became 3-3 three, three very soon after. And then I think Bournemouth did have a couple of chances to, to really kill the mood before that latest Somerville Intervention. winner. Yeah, three goals in three games. He's really, he really has arrived. Uh, Willie Nyonto involved in both those winners. Yeah, yeah. As we, um, as we discussed last week. He only came on half-time, but he was voted man of the match. He really did change the game. It's, he is, he's eight, he's, well, it was his 19th birthday, sorry. He was 18 um, up until that day of the game. Um but he he is something else. I can see starting to see why he was on that UA for shortlist for yeah. Golden Boy and why I did check. He has got six Italy caps, so he's he's not he's not a complete unknown in, in world football terms. Um, and I have no idea how we managed to sign him because he's clearly a very good young talent. And that surging run was was just fantastic. Um, he reminds Red, me of Tevez. His, his, his demeanor. Brown envelope. We're <laughs> we gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> Get the noise on it. <laughs> Um, there might be something in the Italy connection, I guess. No, um, it's all, it's all a bit uh, if the auntie, George. But if you hadn't won yes. these two games this week, yes, uh, you now being on fifteen points, you'd be on nine, which mm, would today mm. be bottom. So yeah, this was Marsh, quite a week. Marshall must certainly be gone. Um, I still think we're pretty terrible. I'm trying not to be negative, but Liverpool was a fluke. Let's not let's not pretend it wasn't. And we were really bad for over an hour of this game. And this is the second home game in a row we've conceded three goals to a promoted team. Like we, we can't play like this every week and expect enough points to stay up. So I'm still concerned. But yeah, it, it's a very important six points. It almost doesn't really matter what happens against Spurs because, uh, um, well, it does. <laughs> I hope we don't get battered. But, you didn't let me but, ask if you were now licking your lips at the idea <laughs> of storming Fortress Spurs. It's a good time to play you for sure. Um, but yeah. There's six very, very valuable points. We suddenly rocketed towards mid-table and got a game in hand. If we won that, we'd be a point behind Liverpool. Probably not the best barometer these days. But um, yeah, it's funny how much a week can change the outlook. But if if these hadn't gone our way, Marsh would almost certainly be gone. And it wouldn't surprise me the slightest if we'd then hired Hassan Huttle as another Red Bull um, graduate. Yeah, Yeah, you can be happy that that hasn't transpired. Mm -hmm. But we didn't. We won. It was fantastic. Romero's got you in his pocket.
London to Berlin We got Kane and Sony and Antonio Conte and Rodrigo He's the man He come from Juventus with a ginger sweet Yes, welcome back to Bout Two. And uh, yes, we are the only team in North London playing Champions League, just by the skin of our teeth after a mad night in Marseille last week. Uh, a night that had me absolutely pulling my hair out. What have I said, George? Well, well I think it was your suggestion even that I should start uh, watching the second half only of um, Spurs games. And, I've, <laughs> and I really did consider it. And especially after Marseille, where um, Stat Bomb. Our first half XG was 0.04, and uh, that's with a couple of corners, so I'm not quite sure how that works. Oh, I thought it might have been a back pass or something. (laughs) Yeah, I started wondering whether it was possible to achieve a negative XG, and uh, if so, we probably will. (laughs) That was absolutely abject. And um, then, sure enough, as with all these other games, Manchester United, Sporting, Bournemouth, etc., etc., as catalogued on this show... Uh, we came out uh, much better second half. Longley got a goal. Uh, we were drawing. All four teams uh, were going through to the last 16 of the Champions League at some point that night in this incredible group. Sporting had the lead against Frankfurt, but conspired to throw it away. But really, the ones who truly shot themselves in the foot were Marseille, who uh, in front of a baying crowd went for it at the end. And uh, Hoiberg scored that unbelievable injury time winner. I absolutely couldn't believe what I was watching. And suddenly we'd won the group. We'd not just progressed. We'd won the group. So cue um, lots of comments from uh, people like yourselves that I shouldn't moan because we've won a Champions League group, uh, which is quite right. But the point stands that uh, I'd watched 45 of the worst minutes I've ever seen my team play. So yeah, still conflicted. Still don't know how I feel. But then we've had the Champions League draw uh, this week. And we've been drawn with Milan, which is a great draw, I think. A sort of uh, a really glamorous destination and uh, traditional powerhouse of European football, but also not the most daunting assignment, uh, especially if we play a little bit better by then. This is mid-February, uh, first leg, mid mid-March, second leg. So very happy with that. Uh, and then it was on to uh, Sunday at home to Liverpool, and we haven't beaten Liverpool in quite a while, and this was uh, surely a good time to play them in their recent form, having lost to the likes of Leeds. <laughs> but uh, obviously, um, Salah scored uh, a goal uh, fairly early on. It was far too easy. We were defensive, but I went down, as I always do, a few minutes before halftime, so I missed, uh, thankfully missed Dyer's awful error for the second goal, which was an absolute gift for Salah's second. Oh my um, god, but, that was really dreadful. It was everything about it was dreadful technique. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been really, really bad uh, recently. He had a good start to the season when I was willing to defend him against his many detractors, but uh, recently, bad performance against Frankfurt as well comes to mind. He's um, going to start for England, isn't he? Well, I was thinking like he's he's playing like somebody who's really nervous at the 
prospect of going to the World Cup and playing for England. And it seems like he's just sort of um, a rabbit in headlights at that prospect. Um, so he's, he's playing knows. like a midfielder playing in defence. Yeah, no, I mean, he's been, I would say he's shown uh, the ability to play at the heart of that back three earlier in the season, but um, I can't defend his recent form. It's been really bad. Uh, anyway, the, the main point I was going to make was that um, went down for a beer half-time uh, and it was 2-0 to them and that was what I expected because the bar had been set so low by these last few games, last half half dozen games or so. And yet, I would also say in it's not it wasn't quite as bad as some of the awful displays we've seen recently in the first half against Marseille, Sporting, Bournemouth, Manchester United, those kind of games. Uh, anyway, let me play you a, a clip from uh, halftime when I asked my friend Kat, who was with me, the Liverpool fan, she was incognito in the Spurs end, and I asked her what she thought. Uh, it's halftime, Tottenham Hotspur nil, predictably, Liverpool two. Um, what I would say after that first half, or the 38 minutes of it, which I deign to watch, is that I've seen worse in recent weeks, and um, it's certainly not as bad as Marseille, Manchester United, Sporting Lisbon, etc. However, um, we're 2-0 down, and um, with me here is Kat, who's visiting from Austria, and uh, she's just going to give us her reaction. She's a little bit happier than I am. What did you think of that half, Kat? No complaints here. No complaints here, except that we could have put a couple more away. Not looking that good, but capitalizing on chances for the first time in a while feels kind of nice. We need to watch out in the second half, though. We look a bit shaky in places, and we'll see what happens when they properly come at us. I hope we'll properly come at you when Kulisewski comes on. Uh, what do you think of Tottenham's playing style? Um, it's a bit bland, but I have a lot of sympathy for them at the moment because what more can they do with what they have yeah. in the circumstances? that comes from a place of like compassion rather than judgment yeah. because we're all there yes indeed and uh, we're so uh, down to bare bones that we've got uh, Perisic starting up front with Kane um, who's signed as a left back and he must be demanding a pay rise this week because he suddenly found himself with the responsibility of leading the line but uh, what do you think about Liverpool's performance So we'll take it. Can't complain. I mean, you know, it's it's been a while since we've been in that situation. So I'm just I'm not going to question it. Okay. Well, let's see what happens, and we'll talk again at full time. Thanks, Cam. Now, as it happens, we did not talk again, at least not on the record, because uh, we just had a ruddy good time. Um, Cap for obvious reasons with the three points. And uh, myself, just because uh, Spurs revel in defeat. And uh, <laughs> lots of fun was had. Uh, a lot was imbibed. But uh, yeah, no more um, match reports from the end of the game. What I would say is, as was mentioned in that clip, Perisic started up front next to Kane. That is how thinned out by injury the squad is, with um, Richarlison with his ankle injury. And um, Son has got a fractured eye socket, I think. bit uh, bit horrible sounding. Very sad for South Korea as well. Yeah, is he definitely missing the no, whole... We're not, still not talking 100%. about it. Yeah. He says he wants to play in a mask, doesn't he? So 
But yeah, you think yeah. like for them, they they take him even if there's a chance he could make a knockout game, yeah. right? So the the really good news uh, and long awaited news was the return of Kulusevski. He was on the bench and uh, he came on. And what happened, George? A delicious assist from what I saw. Uh, obviously, didn't watch the game live, but that bit of creativity that we talked about that seems yeah. very very in short supply in your squad was evident. I mean, he's just exciting and forward thinking. And it was literally seconds mm. after coming on, he found a gap, fed it through to Kane, uh, who finished on unerringly. He'll, he'll find plenty of those next weekend, I assure you. Well, yeah, if he plays next weekend, that could make it a watchable affair, at least, George. It'll be, it'll be your best first half of the season. I can see it now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I'll be there. Sadly, you won't be. But I think maybe next season, you'll make it for Spurs Leeds. Since there's no doubt that you'll stay up. I was going to say in the cup or what? <laughs> See, I was going to say what Spurs are going to go down. Oh, come on. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, um, it was a uh, thoroughly enjoyable day anyway, despite defeat. Uh, I would say the dire error, which I didn't even see. I mean, it was just, uh, just uh, really sad. But um, don't think the performance was as bad as in recent weeks. And we were also buoyed by the... Um, progress in the Champions League of course but now just to end this segment on Spurs I'd love to share with you the wise words again of Tony Cascarino because I wonder if you remember in our show after we beat Bournemouth just about and I was railing about our playing style in that game George was telling me I was I should uh, welcome the three points and stop moaning but I pointed out that um, Cascarino in my opinion didn't have a clue as to what he was talking about because he praised Conte for making the changes that brought victory and totally ignoring the fact that we were in that position because of Conte. So I don't know what Tony Cascarino has been doing this week, but he has done a uh, Tory-style U-turn on Spurs and he's come out with the following. Antonio Conte's tactics are as regressive as we have seen from a big club in the Premier League for a long time. I hate the word dinosaur in a footballing context, but here it feels appropriate. The 53-year-old clearly thinks that over a long period of time, this approach is going to bring him success. He's wrong. So uh, voila, suddenly Cascarino is on my side here. (laughs) Uh, Conte's style is no longer a safe bet, yet he persists with it like an obsession. Spurs were a whisker away from losing to Bournemouth. Ah, now you've realised, have you? (laughs) It shouldn't be like that for a big club. There is an expectation to play in a more positive way, to get hold of the ball, not just sit behind it and deny the opposition space. That's what they did against Liverpool yesterday, and it's a coward's game. The final 20 minutes when balls were flying in, their midfielders were charging forward, and the whole side were feeling the desperation accentuated that. It proved once again that Spurs have it in them to be more positive. And then he gets even darker, and he says, I get the feeling that everything is going to implode there. By the end of the season, Conte and Spurs could find themselves with lots of problems. So um, let's see what uh, Cascarino makes of Spurs after the win over Leeds, shall we? Right to reply, George? Say that again. (laughs) You what, mate? (laughs) Outrageous. Okay. (laughs) And a suitable place to leave it. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Nick, I'm afraid it's time to talk uh, United. Um, we've been talking about how things have been going well. Um, just to recap, you've won at Everton, drawn at home to Newcastle, 
uh, beating us handsomely. Got that late draw against Chelsea at the bridge. Also, you've won every game in Europe in October. And you've had a good win over West Ham that we uh, celebrated uh, last week. So it's come to a stuttering halt at Unai Emery's Villa Park. As I said, I didn't see this game. George has already regaled us with a great anecdote from it. Um, so what's the United view on this defeat then? It's all just so terribly unfair. Why didn't we get a free hit at Gerard's <laughs> bunch of reprobates? No, I think the game became a massive banana skin the second Emery yeah. took over. And the fact that they gave him the full week, he didn't have to deal with the week weekend match before, even though he was appointed and had signed, meant that he was always going to get at least the busiest um, performance out of those Villa players. And there's quite a lot of quality at Villa. And so Aston Villa putting in their busiest performance when United have just finished a gruelling run of um, playing, you know, two or three times a week for, well, I think it's six weeks since the England match, uh, the England break. Um, United were just knackered, I think. Yeah, um, just on, on the note of busy, I'd like to share with you the Times headline on this game, which is boring no more. Villa find thriller instinct. Yeah, well, that is a nice that is a nice headline but uh but yeah they got united on the right day and we got villa on the wrong day it was probably united's worst performance since the international break and it was villa's best of the season so um not not a huge surprise uh it's disappointing what it means is it's set up the fulham match at the weekend to really yeah. be a sort of first season definer for splitting the season in two yes because it's the difference between being properly up there in the top four mix or being probably, you know, one point above Crisis Club Liverpool. Um, so, <laughs> so they've really got to they've got to beat Fulham now um, for Ten Hag's first few months to have been deemed a success. So, so yeah, yeah you're, I, three, I want... you're three points behind Crisis Club Tottenham with a game in hand. So, not all doom and gloom. No, absolutely, but um, you know, and it shows, I guess, what what a difference a week can make. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think you know the Brighton result that was sort of doom and gloom at the beginning of the season doesn't look so bad now and we could be sitting behind them if we don't beat Fulham uh so I think um I think it wasn't a huge surprise it was just a bad day I think and you, you what, also think this is classic Europa League hangover stuff 100% I mean I think I've wanged on about it on the pod before the Europa League will cost us 10 points this season and actually for United it's almost worse because they've let the squad stagnate to such a point that we're we've got a brilliant first 11 now I think you know people are very happy with Ten Hag's direction of travel and his strike his strike rate on transfers so far seems to be a lot of hits but yeah. um we, you know there was an exodus of free transfers last summer and we did not replace quantity we replaced quality and I think you know Anthony has been a great signing Martinez is excellent Ericsson has made a huge difference in that midfield but United are paper thin like we had to play Rashford on the right just because you know 150 million pounds worth of right winger are out injured at the moment in Sancho and Anthony and that means you've got Garnaccio on the left who's essentially an unproven teenager and a, a thin squad trying to navigate this season of all seasons um, a consistent top four push whilst Sort of hobbling around Eastern Europe um, and Moldova and Cyprus, I think and Barcelona. Um, well, yeah, and we can we'll come on to that. New camp at five forty-five on a on a Thursday is uh, <laughs> not quite the glamorous tie that it once was. Albeit, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll save that for happy. part four. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a thin squad got found out, and the break will probably do an awful lot of them good uh, because this United team have every right to be pretty knackered. 
Um, and, and Emery's a top manager. He got a tune out of Villa. I think the one mistake that Ten Hag made was he he lost the legs in midfield. You, you knew Villa were going to come and run about a bit, bare minimum. Um, and he it was the first game where Bruno wasn't available for an awful long time. And I have been one of them saying that maybe Bruno needs a rest. He doesn't look quite the player he once was. Um, this was an interesting test. And I will never say that again because United missed him hugely. I thought I would have pushed Ericsson further forward into the number 10 role and brought Fred or McTommy in alongside Casemiro. Instead, he went still with Ericsson deep. And I don't think it worked, is the uh, the honest appraisal. You're not giving um, Villa much credit here. You, I thought you'd have leapt on the prospect of, or the idea that this shows how inept Gerard is because they've clearly got a good team. And yeah, Ming's I side, think, oh, Ming's 100%. Side. They've, they've, <laughs> they've, I think um, they've got some brilliant players and, you know, a lot of them are Gerard alumni. I think Coutinho, well, he didn't play, but he is an excellent player. Ings is one of the best strikers outside of the top six, if not the best, actually. And Consa is a you know a really brilliant defender who was bothering the England squad not so long ago. I you know, I don't rate Mings, but I think um, <laughs> nobody does on here. <laughs> I think Luca Dean is too good for Villa, if I'm honest. Yeah. I think Luca Dean is an elite Champions League left back um, who's accidentally ended up at Villa because mismanagement by Rafa at Everton. I'm concerned that part of the attraction for Emery to that role is that they've promised January funds because yeah. I can't imagine, which is bad news for us because I wanted them to be part of the relegation scrap, but I can't, That's that that, that team's far too good to be down there. Yeah, I, so I think... Do we Villa all think it's it. up the Premier League we go for Villa? Yeah, Villa and Leicester, I think, yeah. we're going one way, yeah. Mm. I think so. It wouldn't surprise me enormously, actually, if they if they had United's pants down in the cup again on Thursday. Yeah, as I said, United are dead on their feet. We haven't. That's, got... that's at Old Trafford, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. In, that, um, did, that that will depend entirely on lineups, won't it? And who knows, quite frankly. I am surprised that he's not utilised United's squad players more. I think it says mm. a lot about the quality that he's seeing in training. But we've got a raft of youngsters who, you know, as per every youngster at any big squad, are touted on social media as the next big thing. But Palestri's not had a kick you know, has just broken through. There are some players there who could have given players like Rash for the rest. But with Martial injured, United just look right up front. Uh, and, and, you know, Ronaldo's decline I talked about last week. I, what I was his role in this game? So he was up top and he was captain. Did he start? Yeah, he, he was captain. And I think that's probably one of the other controversial decisions that Ten Hag made this weekend. You know, his punishment was akin to Suella's punishment on uh, yeah. for, for her rule breaking. Uh, he's come straight back into the fold and he's essentially the only fit striker that he has available. And he's not doing it at the moment. And it is, you know, he, as George mentioned, he's now engaging in a wrestling match with Mings rather than, you know, scoring goals. And it has I been love a very... your persistent and credible association of Cristiano Ronaldo with Suela Braverman. I'm really <laughs> enjoying that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the strongly worded legal letter from Camp Cristiano. <laughs> Got, and you, you alluded to in the last pod gone in January. Do you really think that would happen? Yes, I think so. I think... Um, like a mutual seem... parting of ways. I, I think to... so. I, yes. It, do, it yeah. doesn't seem to fit for United anymore. He's an awful lot of money on the wage bill, on the spreadsheets that the Glazers are obsessing over. And um, I think Ten Hag's given up on him as well. So Ronaldo can go off. And, and to be honest, I think at the beginning of the summer, when he wanted out, 
he would have thought he'd be at an elite club. I think after the World Cup, he'll probably take his money at, at the MLS. Or it feels like it feels like Ten Hag's giving him these starts because of the World Cup. I wouldn't have thought Ten Hag it would is that sort of manager. To be honest, and the one mm. thing that United fans really like about him is he's the strongest manager we've had since Fergie. The fact mm. that he did bench him in the first place it demonstrates strength, and um, you know he's won that battle essentially. You know, United are now in charge of the Cristiano narrative. And it's not about Ronaldo wanting out. It's about whether United let him go, um, which is a different, it's a gear change from Solskjaer and, um, and and the managers that went before. Great. So do either of you have any other points about Premier League action this past weekend? Just to echo the same point I made last week, I don't know how long we can ignore Brighton for and when we think they're going to suddenly drop away. Oh, we're not looking... ignoring. <laughs> or, I'm enjoying okay. Pascal Gross's experts, exploits. <laughs> Maybe we should have a wager. Who will drop away first, Arsenal or Brighton? Well, yeah, we should probably talk about Arsenal rather than just pretend they're not up there. <laughs> More than likely now to go into the the break top of the league, right? To be fair, yeah. I watched two games this weekend, uh, our own uh, at the stadium, obviously, and Chelsea-Arsenal. But there wasn't that much to say about it other than just how surprising it is to see Arsenal get results at places like yeah, that. Yeah, re- relatively routine win as well. I didn't think Chelsea yeah. caused them match problems at all. And um, just how awful defensively that goal was. The corner more or less went straight in, didn't it? From, uh, was it Saka's corner? I don't quite remember now. Yeah, it was, yeah. Chelsea are going to be an interesting yeah, one to watch. Awful. I think the break's coming along for a good time, at a good time for Potter. But um, Yeah, and you know what their last game before the break is? I don't, actually. They have Newcastle next weekend. That is now okay. massive. Yeah, but I, I could see that break coming along at a good time because Potter is sleepwalking into a bit of a problem, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, their only proper test now, tests, was the United game where they were completely outclassed in the first half, actually. You know, as United, one of the best, best halves that United played this season. And he reacted and he did well. Um, but then they didn't really lay a finger on Arsenal. And then got thumped by Brighton as well. Let's not yeah. forget. He's turning into a. Champions League only manager because they're very good in the Champions League. <laughs> Done the double yeah. over in Milan, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't tell you what sort of money um, or, or what sort of transfer market manager he'll be because obviously a lot of Chelsea is about who they buy, and Potter's never had that sort of money to play with before. It'll be very interesting to see what direction they go if indeed he's even part of that discussion. There is an air about him that he can't quite believe where he's at. <laughs> yeah, and and it's a it's all eyes on him because. They've taken a punt on a, an exciting up-and-coming young English manager riding high in yeah. the league. Yeah, It'll be a long time before an elite club does that again if Potter doesn't work out. Yeah. Over the Line is the exciting new book by Alexander Gross on the unparalleled rivalry between England and Germany. It is an in-depth look at 120 years of Anglo-German encounters, from the Christmas truce to the recent success of Gareth Southgate's England. Over the Line is available on Amazon and all good bookstores from the 12th of September. Okay, welcome back to part four, in which we look at the news of the UEFA draws this Monday, and uh, it was really quite exciting. Let's take them in order. Champions League. I'm just going to run down the round of 16 draw, and you guys can pitch in with comments as and when. If you have nothing to say, fair enough, we'll move on. Uh, Red Bull, Leipzig, Manchester City, any comments? 
Oil State v uh, drinks, energy drink. Fair enough. Uh, Club Bruges, Benfica. I have something to say about that, which is uh, those people who think it's all heated balls, they wouldn't allow that to happen, would they? And uh, I think it's fantastic that one of those two clubs will be a Champions League quarterfinalist. Absolutely. That'll be the draw that all the others want in the quarters. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool, Real Madrid. Splendid. Tremendous. (laughs) Special nights at Anfield, George? Not this time. No. (laughs) Uh, Milan Spurs tasty that is a good that's a two very good games and uh, I'm I'm quite excited to watch that I would say the exciting team to watch at the moment is Milan right I was going to say it's probably the neutral it's probably the tie of the tie of the round surely it's a pretty good one yeah I think I know what I'm doing next Valentine's Day I try Frankfurt Napoli well Napoli are the best draw in all of Europe at the moment if you're not watching Napoli and you're not loving football great comment and uh, Frankfurt well uh, no pyro no party could be tasty in terms of fans, that one. Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea. No, I, no, I think that's that's quite interesting as well. I think, I think uh, so. I, I, I think I, in years it's closer past, than it has been. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that one will could be, be interesting. I'm sure I read they've not met before in the Champions League either, so it's a bit of a no. first. Yeah, it feels mm. feels fresh. Yeah, should be a good one. Inter Porto. No comment. No, nothing to say. Only that it could be a very famous striker. Playing for Porto after his Iranian team dumped England out of the World Cup. <laughs> Go on, who's that? I'm sorry, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's on fire and Iran should not be taken lightly. Okay, that's George's warning. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about football still? Yes. <laughs> I think that's a big, juicy pint of pure Champions League. Yeah. And finally, Paris Saint Germain. Bayern Munich. There's an awful lot of jeopardy on that one because no one wants to see Paris progress. And I worry that if they beat out, they beat Bayern, then one of the teams that could actually stop them is gone, and it could end up in that horror uh, of a an oil state v oil state Champions League final, which just seems to be the natural conclusion of football in the direction it's travelling. Man City PSG, you mean? Exactly. Yeah, Moneyball. Yeah. Well, this is very interesting, I think, um, because this past weekend across the Bundesliga, and I think nowhere more prominently than at Bayern. You had uh, anti-Qatar protests from the fans, organised protests, asking people, telling people to boycott the World Cup. And especially, it's especially um, pertinent at Bayern because of the club's sponsorship association with Qatar Airways, uh, which goes back quite a few years, I think five years now. And um, the fans have always been up in arms about that the whole time. This is not something new. That's not a bandwagon for the World Cup. Um, But it is obviously coming to a head. And uh, the Bayern hierarchy are still pretty deaf to that criticism. Uh, They still sort of defend it at the AGM and whatnot. And so this match against PSG, you have um, Bayern fans themselves, but also German football fans more widely, and certainly the German sports media. They all see PSG, and interestingly from our perspective, uh, the Premier League as a whole, all English clubs, as uh, evildoers in football, as people who are ruining it with far too much money. And so whenever Bayern plays one of these teams in the Champions League, there is a lot of uh, discussion and a lot of um, emotion in it, I would say. Um, I don't think I can go as far as to claim that uh, non-Bayern fans in German are going to back Bayern because it's PSG. I don't think that will happen. But um, it is, of course, a repeat of the Champions League final during uh, coronavirus lockdown as well. Uh, which Bayern won with that single goal from 
Kingsley Coban. But yeah, very interesting. Great draw all round, really, I thought. No real duds. Uh, you have the interest of that uh, Bruges-Benfica one, and then also just heavyweight meetings like PSG Bayern. So it's got it all, really. Uh, let's look at the Europa League, uh, where it's, of course, not the round of 16, but it's what they call the knockout playoffs now, where uh, third-placed teams from the Champions League play second-placed group teams from the Europa League. So you've got, uh, most prominently, top of the bill, Barcelona, Manchester United. Go, Nick. Yeah, and it absolutely serves UEFA right that two of the juggernauts left in their second-tier competition, one of them is going to be gone before the end of February. Um, because United should have won their group. That first leg penalty has really come back to bite. When you say juggernauts, you do mean that in terms of TV rights, don't you? I mean, there's nothing juggernauty about these two clubs (laughs) at the moment. Global fan base appeal. People who will tune in to a match at 5.45pm on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah, one of them will be gone and out of Europe in March. And to be honest, I'd be quite pleased if it was United. I think going out to Barca, you save face a little bit. Um, and it can allow us to focus on getting back into the at the top table, which I think that's is... a good shout. Actually, it's a sort of a sort of a good way to go out with grace. Yeah, exactly. I think United should be focusing on getting to the Champions League and uh, and building from a base that Ten Hag has set this year. Um, so you know, I'm no fan of the Europa League, and I think it's bloated. And what it didn't need was an extra round this year. Yeah, um, but they've done it because that's UEFA. Well, uh, Juventus uh, Nantes, very surprising to see Juventus in there, but uh, it adds to it, I suppose. Sporting, who uh, shot themselves in the foot in our group, uh, will have Michelin, Shakhtar Donetsk against Rennes. Ajax Union Berlin, I think, is a great tie. Um, very interesting. Ajax going to Berlin. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen Monaco, quite a good tie. Sevilla PSV and. Mourinho's Roma go to Salzburg. It's another good tie. And um, quite frankly, with apologies to West Ham, who have a buy in the next round anyway, I'm not going to bother with the Europa League conference. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it some other time. But uh, let's end tonight. Uh, I feel like we've massively overrun already. But let's end tonight uh, with another big news story from this week, uh, which has come out of uh, Liverpool. Nick? Yes, yeah, uh, Liverpool have been put up for sale. Um sort of pretty overtly by Fenway Sports Group. And it's really interesting because there are not very many people out there with deep enough pockets to buy a club like Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of stealthily in the background, all of the clubs that are available to be bought are sort of dividing into two, two camps now. You've either got clubs being bought by big American sports firms, presumably with a move towards the Super League. And that yeah. includes now... Spurs, United, Liverpool already, actually. So that could be a straightforward change of hands. Uh, Obviously, Arsenal um, and actually AC Milan in Italy. Um, And then you've got the clubs that are being picked up by oil states, such as Newcastle, City and Paris. Mm. Um, And then the anomalies, so the big Spanish giants, Juventus, who are owned by family, um, and Bayern, as you talked about their ownership model, being separate to the, the sort of capitalist rules all model that sits in the Premier League. And so it'll be very interesting to see which direction Liverpool go, go in. And they've had a really brilliant decade, frankly. Yeah. Um, and there is natural unease. And when it comes to ownership, I will show a lot of sympathy because 
you can really lose the lottery of, uh, of ownership and, and it can change the fortunes of your club very quickly. So it will be interesting to see what direction they go in from here. And they're going through a period of turmoil now and transition anyway on the pitch. But then you'd have thought Klopp leaving, new owners. It's going to be a different outlet for Liverpool. George? I was, say, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I think it's 12 years they've been in charge and they've, they've won everything apart from the Europa League. They've got an incredible new training facility and Anfield is unrecognisable from when they took over. And, uh, lots of Liverpool fans can't wait for them to sell up and it's sort of like well be yeah, careful yeah. what you wish for um, I don't really know what they want more of yeah, <laughs> I've seen it... oh, oh we'd like a new owner so we can actually spend some money I mean it's just ludicrous and they spent £70 million on a striker but um, I, I wouldn't yeah I assume it'd be another American owner and that would be the majority of the Premier League you don't know hand. what you got till it's gone Indeed. which is uh, absolutely the way I see it at Spurs as well. I'm not a Levy apologist by any means, but uh, I don't want to play that roulette. No, and I think the other uh, thing that's apparent from the Europa League draw that we just talked about is how many of those Super League juggernauts, to quote myself, have ended up in the second tier, um, which is obviously the whole thing that these American families, these American groups are trying to avoid. And the um, unpredictable nature of revenue in European football. Yeah, they hate it. Yeah. Any, yeah, the franchise model in America. Great. Well, on that very upbeat note, let's end for tonight. Next week, the final show of the season, part one, before the World Cup. Uh, we are, of course, looking back on the meeting between our two clubs, George, Leeds, Tottenham, which I will be at, of course. Whatever and, happens, uh, let's stay friends. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> But we will also have uh, an England squad to, to pour over and a World Cup to preview. So um, plenty next week as well. Thank you very much, uh, both of you, as ever. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. And thank you, George. And congratulations again on that wonderful win this week. Thank you. And good luck for Saturday. Cheers. Bye-bye.